for first-timers that I haven't had a chance to introduce myself to yet, my name is Chris. I'm what we call the community architect here, aka pastor with my wife and boys. Some of you, you would have seen Sarah running around somewhere. Apparently Nathan did not fall asleep, so he was the, the one worshiping the loudest, kind of up against my wife's chest. That was Nathan. Over the last month or so, we've been going through a series that will be up here momentarily called Shame on God, where we've been looking at some of those really fun tongue-in-cheek passages in the Old Testament that really perplex us, that, that make us wonder, wait, so this is a good God of love and compassion and mercy. Well, what about this? What about that? And we've been having a conversation about some of those things. I shared three different frameworks that have helped me navigate through that world and kind of reconcile, for lack of a better word, this God who almost annihilates the whole human race and Jesus who dies for the human race and a God who demands sacrifices and Jesus who becomes sacrifice. We've been saying, wait, why are Jesus and his Father seemingly so different? When Jesus said, I and the Father are one, did he mean except for certain parts of the Father? Or I only do what I see the Father do, and we think, well, maybe he didn't see the Father do some of that stuff? Or is there something else going on there? So that's what we've been talking about. So what I'm going to do this morning is give you a really brief recap of some of the ground we've covered to bring everybody onto the same page. I'm going to add a couple ideas to the conversation, and then we're going to split off into groups and have some time to process and hear from one another what has God been saying to everyone in the community in the midst of this so that it's not just a talking head from up front dropping ideas, but it's us as a community doing this together because that's important. So real quick, here's where we've began. Um, no, not yet. <laughs> Hold your horses. But thank you, I appreciate your eagerness. So, first week we started talking about this, I was trying to paint a picture or, or give an understanding that we often come to the Bible, we like to jump into certain stories and try to figure out what's going on there, what does this mean? But we do that without having a whole picture of what's going on. And it would, the way we often read the Bible would be like watching a movie, hitting play, seeing the first few minutes, and then pausing it and trying to figure out and dissect and analyze everything that's going on there and think that you understand what's happening. We often do that with the Bible. It's like, well, what's going on here in Genesis 4? Well, why don't you wait until you've read through the book of Genesis to decide that? But we, we are so eager to jump in and analyze that we miss the, the big picture. And really the key to understanding the whole story that I was suggesting. It'd be like watching the movie The Sixth Sense and then stopping before you get to the point where you realize that, you know, <laughs> the movie's so old we could say it, right? And you're like, he's been dead the whole time? And you go back and you re-watch the whole movie in light of that new knowledge. And when it comes to the story of Scripture, Jesus is the person 
through whom we need to go back and understand the whole story. That's the first kind of foundational piece for all this, is that if something in Scripture doesn't make sense, then instead of going to that passage first, go to Jesus first and understand it in light of him, who he, who he was, what he did, what he said. That's the first kind of piece of this conversation. The second piece was the possibility that in the same way that I can't just make Nathan understand the same things I can make my wife, that there's a process that we go through of developing and maturing as humans that maybe we've gone through that same process of developing and maturing as a species, as an entire human race. And that in the same way that I, you, I gave the example, and some of you guys looked at me kind of funny, but I think you got it, but that you could justify my actions for spanking a two-year-old if they do something harmful to themselves, but you would not be super happy with me for spanking my wife. And it's not because there's a difference in intelligence, there's a difference in maturity and understanding and development. And I'm proposing that maybe it's the same thing with how God has dealt with the human race, is that maybe God comes and meets us where we're at and does things that aren't necessarily God's ideal, and yet pulls us forward closer to God's original and full intentions. And if we have that framework, I would propose that that would actually help make a lot of sense of some really perplexing things in the Old Testament. And we gave some examples quickly. For example, Jesus said, you heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Yet I tell you, Jesus is saying, all scripture is not created equal. And some of you guys are looking at me like, well, well that's why we're going to have some processing time. But apparently to Jesus, all Scripture is not created equal. And the third thing was that from the very beginning, starting with Adam and Eve, there has been this distortion, this, this fragmentation or this um, filtering that caused them to hide in the garden and has caused us to hide from God ever since. It's this push and pull that the Israelites wanted God, but from a distance. They were like, Moses, you go. We, we don't really want to do it. We want God, but through you, Moses. And that's been kind of the story ever since, is that something happened to the human race to where we could not see God fully and completely and accurately. And that's why Jesus came in with the face of a human and the fullness of God to say, look it, I want you to fully see who I am. And even then, did we get it? No. We kind of missed it. But that these people did not necessarily see God in fullness, and so we need to be open to the reality that God wants to teach them something beyond what they saw or experienced in their time. And that is that God looks like Jesus. So that's a really, maybe not even fair or, or thorough overview, but those are some of the things that we've been looking at over the last few weeks. And the reason we've been doing it is because I believe that if we have these things in our hearts where we say, God, I trust you, but... Or, God, I know you're good, but it would be like my boys saying, yeah, well, I, my dad is kind of a good dad, but really I'm scared of him because I've seen him do this and this and this and this. What kind of relationship would my boys have with me if they had seen me do all these things that they could not really grapple with or deal with or did not know that my heart was good? So it's an important conversation. I gave two quick examples. We talked about the sacrificial system, and I proposed that maybe... God actually did not invent the sacrificial system. 
But maybe it was God's loving way of putting limits on something that human shame invented and insisted on doing. And God says, let me actually meet you in this and allow it for a while till I can heal you from it. And we gave an example of Moses. We talked about before how sometimes there's more to the story that maybe there's more going on there than you see at face value. And I gave the example of how my wife got really offended on behalf of Moses when God didn't allow Moses into the promised land. And it's like, well, why, God, would you punish Moses after all that he's done? And we said, well, maybe God wasn't punishing Moses, but actually rather blessing him and relieving him of duty. Because if you were here last Sunday... You're with me in realizing Moses did enter the promised land, didn't he? Just not in the way that he thought. Because there's more to the story. So it's been fun for me. Some of you guys are looking at me like, hmm, which is why we're going to process. I wanted to add just two quick things about how we come to the Bible, though, because all right, can we have a really honest conversation? No? All right, how many of you guys, raise your hand if you know you need to read the Bible. Raise your hand if you know it would be good for you. Keep your hand up if you feel like you need to read it more or you don't read it enough. Keep your hand up if you're scared because some of it you don't know what to do with. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Nobody in here would say, eh, the Bible's kind of irrelevant. You might look at parts of it and say, oh, that's kind of irrelevant, or I wish that was irrelevant. <laughs> right? It's not an issue of does the Bible matter or, or does the Bible, is it something that I need to engage with? It's an issue of it's intimidating, it's scary, it's threatening, and it's a little bit confusing. So what do we do with that? You could do what I did for a couple years and just not read it. What did you just say? I literally had a season where my lens was so distorted that I had to put the Bible away and just meet God in other venues because every time I came to the Bible, I went into relapse of things that God was trying to heal me from. Now, am I encouraging you to like go a couple years without reading the Bible? No. And it might not have been that long, but... We need to be able to grapple with the Bible because it matters, but we need to know what we're doing when we do that. Have you ever seen somebody misuse the Bible? <laughs> you guys are like, what a dumb question. <laughs> but isn't that tragic that that's a dumb question? Think about that for a minute. God gave us this beautiful library of books bound in one set. And says there is so much truth contained in here, and yet it's been used as a weapon. It's been used as, the Bible say, refers to itself as a sword, but it's been used by many people as a club, right? It's like, um, that's not, I don't think, what it's intended for. And so a lot of us just shy away and let it collect dust. There was another thought I was going to add to that. Um, I have this cold that's trying to catch, and I'm not letting it catch, but it's causing me to be a little off kilter mentally, which I'm sure you didn't notice. Okay, I hope you didn't notice. So what do we do with the Bible in all of its 
variety and potential confusion and room for misunderstanding, what do we do with that? I want to share one quick thing that's been helpful for me to understand how to come at the Bible. And that is realizing that all Scripture is not meant to be read the same way. That's probably obvious to a lot of you, but it's helpful to sometimes make those things explicit. What do I have here? The Bay News. Anybody read this before? So, do you read everything in here in the same way? Does, does all of this carry the same weight? Is it understood, applied? Do you, do you grapple with everything in here in the same way? What are the different things that make this up? What kind of genres or what kind of different types of information and presentation would you find in here? What's that? Plotter notes? Blotter notes. Blotter notes. What's that? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Nice. Okay, so the blotter notes, all the police activities. So, okay. So that's one piece in here. What's that? Advertisements. Okay. Would you read an advertisement the same way you'd read what David just brought up? No. What else would you find in here? Real news. Do you read real news the same way you read an advertisement? <laughs> ah. So you have to take into consideration the viewpoint and the bias of the author. Hmm. Now, don't carry that over into the Bible, Chris. You're going to get yourself in trouble. Yes, I do. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, you do. But, so I think that it's helpful, helpful for us to understand that in the same way that we read a newspaper differently based on the intention of what's in here, the Bible needs to be understood in the same way. What are different types of, of literature that are found in the Bible? History, parable, poetry, metaphor, law. What's that? Prophecy. Do you read prophecy the same way you read history? Do you read a parable the same way that you read history? No. And so one of the things that's super helpful for us to be aware of is what we're dealing with in Scripture and how to actually come at it and meet it in its original intention. Because you read history different than you read prophecy. In apocalyptic literature, what do you do with that? You just leave that to the scholars. No, you, you read it all, but you have to be aware of what you're working with, right? Now, this is commonsensical stuff, but, but sometimes we forget this in our endeavor to just be a good Christian and jump into the Bible. But let me share quickly, and then I, I want to see how much time we're going to have. Our morning's gone by quicker than I thought, but let me put a thought out to you about how Jesus read the Bible. Might be helpful to know. Right? Might be worthwhile. In the Gospel of Matthew, now you can do your thing. In Matthew 22, these Pharisees, listen, oh, so when they say a lawyer, do you think they mean the same thing we mean by lawyer? A teacher of the law in Jesus' day was what? 
somebody whose life was embedded in the Scriptures. They didn't just mean all those laws. They meant the Torah. They meant everything that God had put before. So these are people that had steeped their lives in what we would call the Old Testament. And one of them comes to Jesus and says, Hey, teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, Jesus' response, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now here's the thing. Listen to Jesus' follow-up statement. On these things, on these two commandments, depend all the law and the prophets. Translation. Jesus interpreted Scripture through the lens of what was going to facilitate the most love for God and the most love for people and self. That's how Jesus interpreted Scripture. For Jesus, the way to understand Scripture's primary intention and meaning and application was what is going to help me love God more, love people more, and love myself more. Doesn't it almost sound too simple to be real? Like, wait a minute, that's all there is to it? But as we've seen, that's not all there is to it, right? When people actually come to the Bible and use it as a club. So we can give some examples for this at some point, but a quick example would be Jesus' disciples walking through the grain fields on the Sabbath and picking heads of grain. And they're saying, don't you know the law? Don't you know the law says don't do that on the Sabbath? And Jesus says, oh, well, guess what? The point of the Sabbath is not the Sabbath. It's to give people rest and to facilitate relationship with God. So Jesus says, if you want to understand what those scriptures mean, you need to understand them through loving God and loving others. That's how they make the most sense. That's how they make godly sense. So that's all easy stuff, but we need to keep this in mind when we come to some of those crazy Old Testament passages. I hope over the next little while we have some time, some fun ones that I think would be good to look at would be things like the Canaanites. Like why would God let them or command them to go in and do all that to the Canaanites or the Amalekites and the Midianites and keep the virgins for yourself? Nice one, God. That's, you guys, that's not... What do we do with that? Or, or the flood? Or at some point we'll talk about that girl that gets her corpses cut up into 12 pieces and sent out to all the different tribes of Israel. Why would you put that in a story or in the Bible that's supposed to be our lesson for how to live life? What moral lesson is embedded in a story like that? We have to have the right framework for understanding what we're dealing with so that we know why that would be there and what to do with it. So I'm going to give you a few minutes, or, yeah, let's, we'll take about 10 minutes, 15 minutes to do this. I'd like you to split up into groups of about, I think, six. Um, what we have is we have some people that have been here every Sunday for the last month, and some people that haven't been here until this Sunday, over the last month. So we're going to break up into groups of six or so. I'll have you do that now. I've, I've connected with a few people that know that they're, kind of role is to help facilitate and keep us on track, I think it would be wise for us to, to kind of base our groups 
based on who has been here and who has not and mixing those two dynamics so that we don't just have a group of people that this is their first Sunday and you stare and look at each other and twiddle your thumbs and feel really awkward. Let's try to avoid that. So go ahead and stand up. Look around. Connect with about, connect with a group so that you have a group of about, yeah, five or six people. Introduce yourselves. Spouses, it might be good for you to even split up, if you can imagine that. Introduce yourselves, and I'm going to give you some questions to look at. We'll take about 10 minutes to do this, maybe 15. So if you haven't been here, then break off with some people that have. Hey, I'm going to split you guys up. No, but you guys are both. Well, so, how about will you? Larry's a facilitator. You, you two split up, yeah. Dan is going to help facilitate. Cool, Steve, you're going to hop in. Steve and Kaylee. I want, we need some people just that have actually been here a little bit so that we know what's been going on and some people just to, to keep us on track. So, you've been around. Oh, yeah. So, mix in people that have been here. Hi, Joanna. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Kathy, I'm going to steal you. I'm going to split you up from Dan, because you've been here, Dan's been here. Wow, that's a huge group over there. Hey, you guys need to split into two groups. Yeah, break it up back there. No, break it up back there. Hey, I'm the pastor. You will listen to me. I have to say that every Sunday to some like rebellious group of people. It's crazy. So is this, this good or where do you want me? These guys are good. Eric's doing yeah. one. Um, I think we should split them up too. Kathy, why don't you take Susan and Joanna and, huh? Yeah, but look, you guys are a ginormous group. So if you guys, most of you have not been here much or less. Oh, Wow. Well then, <laughs> that's why we're doing this. Yeah. All right. I think it'd be helpful. Why don't you split up here and here? How about you five? Join with Kathy and then you guys kind of circle up right there. How's that? And so here's some questions for you to think about. And... Here's what we'll say. If only one person in your group or two people have been here over the last month and has anything to say, then fine. Come to church more often. No, I'm just kidding. Um, okay, half kidding, to be honest. Um, no, but then pray for each other. If, if you only have a few people that have something in regards to this to share, then 
then go ahead and move through this quickly, just kind of get a sense of what they've been learning if they've been here, and then go through and just see who needs prayer and take some time to pray for one another. Sound good? All right. Ready? Go. Ready? 